we go through a lot of trials and temptations and especially when you are going through some kind of difficulties, whether it's illness or relationship conflicts, one of the questions that you ask yourself is, is there a way out? Because life is complicated and it's, there's just a lot. Just thinking of the people in, from our church that are going through illnesses and all sorts of difficulties, you, you cannot avoid not to ask, is there a way out? Will God provide a way out? Is there a way of escape? Because life is, is tough. And so to see if we can find an answer to this question, I would ask you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, I will read from verse 6 to verse 13. 1 Corinthians 10, 6 to 13. After pointing the Israelites, uh, the, the Corinthians, to the experience of the Israelites, Paul says from verse 6, Now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it's written, the people sat down to eat and drink and go up to indulge in rivalry. rivalry. We should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did, and in one day 23,000 of them died. We should not test Christ as some of them did and were killed by snakes. And do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the age has come. Listen to this in verse 12. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind, and God is faithful. He will, let, no, he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. This is the word of God. And here at Southside, we believe that since the Bible is God's word, and we are God's children, can you say it with me? The Bible is God's word for us. Father, we come before you this morning acknowledging your presence, 
believing, Lord, that there is something you want to accomplish through your word. And we are praying that we may experience it this morning. We pray that your Holy Spirit, whom you've given us to teach us, to guide us, to remind us that he may accomplish his work through us and that you may be glorified in every step of the way in Jesus' name. May everyone say, Amen. So just to uh, give you a brief background of what Paul is talking about. The Israelites had experienced all spiritual privileges uh, by being God's people. We are told that they passed under one cloud. They experienced the symbol of God's protection and guidance when they were being delivered from Egypt. They passed through the sea, the Red Sea. We know that experience. We know that account. A unique experience. A way of escape for them. Their highway became a graveyard for the Egyptians. God himself provided a way for his people, and it was meant only for his people. When the Egyptians tried to pass through, they drowned. They were, and then uh, Paul says they were baptized into Moses which means they were united with Moses because that's what baptism does. It, it unites people. The spiritual baptism unites us with Christ. It brings us to God's family. And the water baptism unites us with the body of Christ, with others that we worship with. So they were baptized into Moses. They were united with Moses. Moses here is a type of Christ. They were united with Moses just as we are united with Jesus Christ. We are also told they ate the spiritual food, manna from heaven. God himself provided food for them from heaven. They experienced these spiritual benefits. They all drank from the same spiritual rock, which Paul says that that rock was Christ. And the rock in the wilderness was also a type of Christ. And what we are learning here is that Jesus Christ, even though he wasn't present physically then, he was present spiritually because Jesus Christ is God the Son. And so Paul is saying here that their source of everything was Christ, just as he is the source of every benefit that we experience today as Christians. He wants the Corinthians to understand what happened to their forefathers, so that they can bring themselves to an understanding of what can happen to them in their walk with Christ. He was, Jesus was the source of their benefits, just as he is the source of all our benefits. But the, Corinth, the, the Israelites, instead of believing what God said, 
Instead of trusting in God's word and, his, and acting according to his promises, they tested the Lord. They fell into the temptation of abusing their privileges. They took the privileges that God provided for them for granted. They abused the grace of God. Something that still happens today. This is how they abused it. One, they committed idolatry. They started worshipping idols. We see the first thing that happens when Moses goes to the mountain to talk to the Lord, the Israelites make a golden calf and they ascribe greatness to the golden calf. They actually praise the golden calf for delivering them from Egypt. They glorify it. They take what belongs to the Lord and ascribe it to the golden calf. They abused the grace of God, the privileges that they were enjoying. They also committed sexual immorality, a sin that is still a problem even today. They tested the Lord. Instead of trusting him, they wanted him to prove himself. They put the Lord to the test. Instead of believing that God would do what he said he would do. And finally, they grumbled. These were some of the most ungrateful people. And you know, we remind ourselves here almost every Sunday that if you look into your life, you will find so many reasons to grumble. If, if you just feel yourself, just how you feel in your body, you know, you wake up in the morning and you don't even want to get off your bed. You know, you turn on the other side and you can feel pain. You think of your family, your, your children, your grandchildren and what's happening in their lives. And you have every reason to grumble. You think of the government and the politicians and everything that is happening in the country. And you will find reasons to grumble. Some of us, our list, our grumbling list is longer than others. But we all have reasons to grumble. But because of Christ, we also have reasons to be grateful. Yes, we acknowledge that there is a problem, but we also acknowledge that there is Christ. And we choose not to focus on the problem. We choose not to focus on the pain and the conflicts. And we choose to focus on Christ. And every time we focus on Christ, we find a reason to say thank you. The Israelites chose to focus on the problem. 
And therefore they grumbled. They grumbled against Moses, Moses, and by grumbling against Moses, they were grumbling against God because Moses was doing what the Lord was asking him to do. And because of that, many of them died and they missed the promised land. They died. They missed the promise that God had for them to give them a prosperous land to settle them. They missed it because they abused the spiritual privileges that God provided for them. See, the problem was they failed to realize that with spiritual benefits comes spiritual responsibilities. God blesses us, and every blessing is a responsibility. When he gives us children, he wants us to be responsible in raising them up. Every blessing comes with a responsibility. Every spiritual benefit gives us responsibility. We can talk about grace all we want. But when we realize, when we understand what the grace of God is, we will also realize that we are responsible, that his grace gives us responsibility. If God has forgiven me, he expects me to forgive the other person. That is a responsibility. If God has loved me and I believe it, then I have responsibility to love my neighbor. So yeah, we can talk of God's grace, but every time we talk about God's grace, let's remember that it's God's grace makes us accountable as well. There's a responsibility that comes with it so that we don't fall into the same temptation of abusing God's grace. And this is the point of this message this morning, temptation. Temptations come in different packages. Could be a trial, you know, a difficulty that you are going through, a sickness, an opportunity to succeed, a thought. Temptation is meant to, by the enemy, to entice us to sin, to fall to turn away from God. Sometimes it's a thought. Sometimes it's a, a, a relationship conflict. It could be an illness. The enemy wants to use every difficult that a Christian experiences to make him, to make her fall into sin. He wants to use the difficulties that we face to make us turn away from God. 
to make us sin. That is his goal. It says in John chapter 10, verse 10, that a thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. That's the enemy's goal. He's out to steal your joy, to steal your peace, and to destroy you. He's out to kill relationships. <laughs> and we have so many relationships that are destroyed. And I'm talking about Christians here. The enemy uses temptation to destroy. And it is the enemy who tempts. God allows temptations, but he does not tempt. It says in James chapter 1, verse 13, when tempted... James chapter 1, verse 13, when my 13 sounds different. I understand that. I mean 1, 3. Okay, I have this problem with my kids as well. And they are supposed to be my kids. James, 1, James chapter 1, verse 1, 3. I'm, I'm still finding my way through that says, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. Do you know why? Because temptation is meant to entice you. From God's perspective, it's not a temptation, it's a test. For God cannot be tempted by evil, so it can't be God's desire for you and I to sin. To turn away from him. That is not his desire. And nor does he tempt anyone with evil. The enemy, Satan, is the tempter. He tempted Jesus Christ. He tempted Job. He tempted Adam and Eve. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 5, he's actually called the tempter. Because that is his God. He wants to entice us to sin. To turn away from God. You see, when you have a, when you have a relationship conflict, if it's not handled in a, a godly manner, the enemy will get a footstool. It opens a door to the enemy. And when he comes in... All he brings is destruction. He comes in, he steals your joy and your peace. Instead of focusing on Christ, you start focusing on yourself. And when you focus on yourself, you are pulling on your side. And the other person is pulling on their side. And what you are going to get is destruction and death. Death of the relationship. And Satan will have achieved his goal. God, on the other side, he allows these difficult experiences so that we can trust him and rely on him. Jesus says in John, part B of John 10.10, 10, he says, 
I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus comes so that his people may have life and have it to the full. The enemy wants to destroy. God wants us to trust him and rely on him. The enemy wants us to turn away from the Lord. The Lord wants us to cleave to him. He wants us to rely on him even more. When you understand God and how he works in our lives, you will find yourself turning to him, crying to him, trusting him, relying on him even more when things are tough in your life. When you find yourself turning away from him, that is a, it reveals that you don't really know him. And I believe as a church, with all the challenges that we are facing, this is a season that God is using to bring us closer to one another, but also to make us trust him and rely on him like never before. And when we do that, when we find ourselves coming closer as a family, trusting God and relying on him even more, we are going to flourish. We will say like Job, after he has tried me, I will come forth as gold. I believe that this is a refining moment for us as a church. Some of the lessons that we get from this text. One, Paul says, because what happened to them was written and recorded for our examples. One, we should learn from the mistakes of others. You look back and you can see the Israelites complaining and turning away and worshipping idols. We should learn from that, from their mistakes. Two, we need to, ab to avoid being overconfident. <laughs> I like what verse 12 is saying. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. Avoid being overconfident. Confident. When you, when you learn to trust and rely on God, you will realize that your confidence has nothing to do with it. You realize it's, you, you, you become more humble because you know, left to yourself, you will bring destruction. And therefore, I will find myself relying on this God because I know I cannot make it on my own. Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. In John 15, I think verse 5, without me, you can do nothing. And Paul reminds us in Philippians 4.13 that with Christ, we can do all things. 
Philippians 4.13 will never make sense to you if John 15.5 doesn't make sense to you. You will never believe that you can do all things through Christ unless you start believing that without him you can do nothing. And number three, we need to know the truth concerning temptations. And this brings us to verse 1, 3, verse 13, 1, 3. So I want to pay our attention there, uh, and in a few minutes we will be done. There's something that James says in, in James chapter 1, verse 2 and 3. Let's, let's look at James chapter 1, verse 2 and 3, and then we will come back to 1 Corinthians 10, 13. He says this. This is the attitude that we need when we are approaching, uh, when we face difficulties in lives. Difficulties that sometimes can tempt us to sin, to turn away from God, to grumble, to be ungrateful, to fall away. And we have so many Christians that have turned away from the Lord because of something that happened in their lives or in their relationships at church and relationships with others. We have Christians who are not going to church because something was said or was done to them. They allowed the difficulty to make them turn away. It says here in James, James, Chapter 1, verse 2 and 3. James. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. When you know that what I am going through can be used by God to make me a better person, you will approach it with joy. You will not enjoy it, but your attitude towards it will be positive. This doesn't mean that we enjoy difficulties. It means that through difficulties we can still be joyful because we know that through difficulties God can produce in us something that makes us better, something that makes us know him even more. And that changes how we approach not only the difficult experiences but life in general. Some of you have had the COVID vaccine, right? Some of you haven't. When I, I and, and what I'm saying now has nothing to do with whether you're vaccinated or not. No, that's, that's your choice. But when I, I got vaccinated because I was traveling, I didn't like the feeling, especially the second shot. I was sickly for three days. I didn't like it. It was not interesting at all. 
at all. I didn't like that experience. But you know, I, I wasn't angry about it because I believed that it was there, I, I, the, the, the vaccine was for my benefit. So even though I didn't like that experience, every time I reminded myself that this vaccine is here to benefit me, my attitude towards what I was going through changed. Just because the experience is painful and disappointing and discouraging, it doesn't mean that you should approach it with pain, with discouragement, and with disappointment. Knowing that through the difficulties I'm experiencing, God is able to bring something good from it because he says, by the way, that all things work together for good. Do you know why? Because of Christ. Knowing that, even though I will still feel pain, I may still shed tears, I will approach it with a positive attitude. It's like going to the doctor and after doing all the tests, the doctor tells you, this is the problem. And you're like, oh my God. And then he tells you, and this is the solution. And you're like, oh my God. The problem is still the same. But now that you can see the solution, your attitude changes. The pain is still there, but because there is a solution, because something can be done, your attitude towards it changes. And this is the same thing with God, my friends. Consider it pure joy when you face various kinds of trials. Because God, through every trial, he is able to produce something good. So there are two things that uh, we learn from this that I want to give you, and then I will be done here. One, it says in verse 13, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. Number one, the temptations we face are not unique to us. The temptations you face, the trials that you face, the difficulties that you experience, the pain that you have is not unique to you. That is the truth. Someone else has been there. And someone else is going through it too. But you know, the enemy, the tempter, will want you to think that your experience is unique. That is the first deception you face when you encounter a trial. 
The enemy wants you to think that this is unique. No one else is going through it. It's only you. And then you begin to think, oh, why me? What have I done? What in the world have I done to you, God, to allow this to come to me? God wants us to know. And this is, is supposed to... When you know that someone has gone through the same experience you are going through, it gives you some encouragement. You know, the best helpers, the best encouragers are people that have gone through the same experience. That's the person I want to listen to. Now, some of us are used into listening to people because they have papers, because they went to school. But I'm telling you, the best school is the school of experience. That's the best college. If you have lost a loved one, you are the person I want to listen to when I lose my loved one. Because you know how it feels to lose a loved one. Our experiences may not be the same, but they are similar. And God is saying here, the temptation you face is not unique. It is common to mankind. It is what others are facing. The conflicts that we face in our relationships, in our marriages, the conflicts we face with our children, with our siblings, with our parents are not unique. None of us here has invented a new conflict. Someone else has been there. Someone else is going through the same road. Someone else is experiencing it. And here is someone else who experienced it too. In the Bible, if you look at Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15, we are told about Jesus. He says, For we do not have a high priest, Hebrews 4.15, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way. You think of any kind of temptation, and the Bible tells us that Jesus experienced it. In every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. He did not turn away. He did not give in. He did not fall. The temptation you and me first is not unique. It's not unique to us. Number two, I only have two truths here. Number two, the God we believe, the God we believe in is faithful. It says again in verse 13, 
No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind and God is faithful. God is faithful. He will not you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. I think King James says so that you can escape. The God we believe in is a faithful God. He remains faithful even when we are unfaithful. And because God is faithful, he allows what we can endure with him. See, when, when, when it says that he will not allow what you are not able to bear, it's not talking about your strength. It's talking about his strength. The focus here is not me. The focus is God. He will not allow what through him we cannot bear. He wants us to realize that every temptation we face, we are able to endure with him. He will not allow us to face what we cannot bear, but he also will provide a way. That means he can only allow, one, what we can endure with him, and two, he only allows what we can overcome with him. He allows what we can endure with him, go through it with him, and also what we can overcome with him. See, like Joseph, for example. Joseph, when he was tempted by Potiphar's wife, he was able to overcome that temptation. But the only reason he was able to overcome is because of his faith in the Lord. The focus was not himself. The focus was God. We will never be able to endure the trials we face. We will never be able to overcome the difficulties we experience unless we do so in the Lord and with the Lord. This is where trusting and relying on God comes in. Because you know what testing does. Testing reveals who we are. It reveals our weaknesses and our strengths. That's what testing does. And every time we face a trial, a difficulty, it reveals who we are. We realize that we are weak. And then we realize that God is powerful. He is strong. We can rely on him. And then instead of allowing the temptation, the trial, the difficulty to control us, we turn to the Lord and we trust him with all that he has promised and we rely on him. Okay, let me stop here because I think you understand what I'm saying, right? Unless 
we see the Lord in the trial, we will not see the way from the trial. Unless we see the Lord in the trial, we will not see the way. We cannot endure, we cannot overcome. So what do we do? Thank you for asking. When tempted, trust God to lead the way. When you find yourself in a difficulty, in pain, in grief, in despair, trust the Lord to lead the way. Turn to the Lord. Ask him. Ask him. Cry out to him. Trust him and rely on him. Either he will take you through it or he may decide to take you over it. Whichever way he's going to do it, yours and mine's response should be to trust him to lead the way. You know, that's, that's what the Israelites experienced when they found themselves at the shore of the Red Sea and the Egyptians were coming down to them furiously. They were coming to kill them. And they cried out to Moses and Moses cried out to the Lord and God told Moses, tell the children of Israel to move forward, to move on. And then he told him to strike the Red Sea. The children of Israel and Moses didn't know how God was going to protect them. But they needed to trust him to do it. Because God had promised that he had come to deliver them. They needed to trust him fully. And at that particular moment, there is nothing else they could do except trust and rely on the Lord. And when they did, God led them out. Trust the Lord to lead the way. Father, I want to thank you for your love. I want to thank you for your word. I thank you for your faithfulness. You have loved us. You have prepared a life for us here on earth and after our life here on earth. You've given us hope and peace that cannot be taken away even though the enemy will try to. But God, we are still in this world and this life on this side is complicated, is difficult, is We, we cannot go through it without you. And Father, you know each one of us here. You know where we are coming from and what we are going through. You know the questions that we are asking and the tears that we shed. You know our experiences. You know our pain and our fear. And this morning we are acknowledging your presence and your power. 
And on behalf of your people, Lord, where they are, I'm just praying that they may experience you. That, Lord, you may meet them at the point of their needs. Each one of them. And that, Father, you may teach us to trust you even when it is difficult to do so. I also pray even for those who are joining us online, Lord, and you, you know them, you can see them and their experiences. I pray the same prayer for them. I pray for those who are listening to us and they don't know you. That, Father, you may use your word and your Holy Spirit to convict them. Lord, for that one person who was not able to comprehend what I was trying to communicate, I pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit may accomplish that for him or for her. In Jesus' name, I pray. May everyone say, Amen. Thank you.